Alright, yeah, would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? And uh, Pastor Tyrone will be bringing the message to us this morning. Uh, our scripture is going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Pastor Tyrone's preaching on facing death with confidence this morning. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. If you have a pew Bible, it'll be on page 667. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. Let's pray. God, this morning, as you bring your word, Lord, we just ask that our hearts would be humbled. God, then we would be reassured that if circumstances come our way, that whether expected or unexpected, bring us to death's doorstep, Lord, that we would rest on your word, God, and face death with confidence. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Kurt. By the way, Kurt's uh, folks are here. And uh, his dad and his mother are pastoring up north, and so Kirk, he's a PK, I understand, I was one myself. We're glad that you're here this morning. If you turn to your, the person next to you, and uh, to the right or to the left, and uh, say to them, and smile to them, say, you're in the right place at the right time. Would you do that? You're in the right place at the right time. So glad that you're here this morning. This is a good preaching crowd. We're glad that you're here and that you made it this morning. I want to preach to you about a subject that I've been thinking about the last few years, and that's on death. Now, don't get all mixed up with this. My middle son asked me this morning, he said, what's happening, Dad? You're preaching on the confidence of death. And, uh, but I've been thinking about it. Two reasons why. Uh, first of all, I could have died in 94, they tell me. And then in 03, I could have died two or three times. But also another reason is because I'm older. I know that my years here on earth aren't as many uh, anymore. Just got a few years left. You know, when we are young, we don't think about death, do we? But maybe we ought to just a little more than we uh, do, because uh, life, you see, is very, very short, and it's uncertain. In fact, James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 14, for what is your life? It is even a vapor or mist that appear for a little time and then vanisheth away. The psalmist put it this way in Psalms chapter 90, verses 5 and 6. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning dew. 
And in the morning it springs up new, and by evening it is dry and withered. It is sometimes said that nothing is certain in life except uh, death and taxes. But uh, that isn't wholly true, because you see, a clever man with a good lawyer can find a way around most, if not all, I believe, his taxes. But not one escapes death. I will say this about taxes, though, while I'm thinking about that. As certain as death and taxes are, but of the two, taxes happen annually, don't they? As George Barnard used to say, Barnard Shore, he remarked, the statistics on death have not changed at all. One out of one person dies. As someone said, death, taxes, and children, there's never any convenient time for any of them. So death, I mean, will it win in the end? Well, on this side of the grave, it really is hard to tell. Or at least it seems, because, you see, death is not the end of the story for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The Bible tells us what lies ahead for those who know Christ. And as we come to this particular passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we discover some very wonderful truths that give us hope as we face death with all its dark uh, fears. In fact, there are two extreme of deaths, I believe, that many people make. First of all, they won't talk about it at all. And then there's the, the other extreme, they think about it all the time. They do everything to keep from dying. Now, both of these extremes are indications that uh, the fear of death still, still holds many people in its grip. The writer of Hebrews describes the human family as those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Chapter 2, verse 15. The fear of death holds many people bondage. I mean, it's one of the few human dilemmas that cannot be determined, you see, through technology. So I believe this morning, what we need to do is consider the subject of death from God's vantage point. The Bible calls it the last enemy to be destroyed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26. And Paul told how that enemy will be defeated there and what will happen when we die. Now this passage here that we're in gives us hope as we look ahead to the end of our earthly journey and wonder, what's really next? Paul tells us in a very striking language here that we have absolutely nothing to fear. No matter how we die, or when or where, and no matter what may be our physical condition at the moment of death, we have a promise from God that death in itself cannot break. So I want to give you three truths from this passage of Scripture that will help us face death, I believe, with uh, confidence. The first is that of the certainty of the resurrection body. I find that in uh, verse 1, where it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God 
a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Circle those words, for we know they are surely the most important part, I believe, of this verse. Death itself confronts us with many mysteries, doesn't it? No one here this morning can say with certainty how much longer they're going to live. I'm 70 years old, but will I live to be 71 or 75 or 85? Just a few weeks ago, I got on the computer and punched in uh, the death uh, clock, found out that I'm going to die August the 10th, 2014. That's 20 years, I mean, uh, three years from now, you see. Every single breath we take is a gift from God. I've been breathing more or less continually for 70 years and not really thinking much about it. But it's true, I'm going to die. Every single breath is a gift from the Almighty, and I'm not guaranteed another day, much less another year. As to what happens after we die, science really doesn't have really nothing useful to tell us. And the great researchers really have no certain knowledge about what happens a minute after we die. I mean, you'll get no answer from philosophy or uh, history. And when you visit a cemetery... The only thing that is certain is that it is full of dead people who once were, you know, alive. I mean, try as you might, you can't get anything from studying the dead and what happens when we die. Paul here, in this particular passage, says that there are some things, now listen, there are some things we know with certainty. First of all, he says, we live in a tent. A tabernacle. Paul uses this word two times, and what he is doing is comparing our lives to a tent. Now, I'm not much of a tent guy myself. I don't like camping out. Not my thing. I mean, uh, never has been. My idea of roughing it is a motel with no remote control for my television. You know what I mean? (laughs) Now, there's two words to describe, as far as I'm concerned, a tent. The first word that came to my mind is insecure. A tent is not a very good fortress. I mean, you can't bolt the door against uh, the intruders. I mean, the canvas uh, doesn't seem a good protection uh, against all the wild animals, and if a storm comes with a lot of wind, you know it's going to collapse very easily. And Paul the Bible says, was a tent maker. And when he compared this life to a tent, he knew exactly what it, that it was not very secure. This life is so uncertain, it can be destroyed, you see, in a second. Oh, we try to develop security, you know, uh, through insurance and the accumulation of a lot of goods and support groups and people and all that stuff. But no matter how much we have of this world's goods, folks, we're still living in a tent that can be blown over very easily. David put it this way in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3. There is only a step between me and death. Another word comes to my mind is uncomfortable. Some years ago, our church back, well, man, I guess in the early 90s, we took a canoe trip on the uh, current river. 
And I stayed in a tent on some kind of air mattress. And as I laid there in the darkness, I started to think about my wonderful bed at home. (laughs) And my air conditioning. And the wife that I had. And about that time, somebody from another tent hollers out, Man, this is life! Isn't it? And I'm thinking to myself, oh yeah, this is what camping is all about. The longer I tossed and turned, the more uncomfortable you see it gets. Reminds me of those beds. Remember those of you that used to go to youth camp at Silver State? I mean, they weren't any better. In fact, in those cabins, after two or three days, everything smelled like socks anyway. Now, in other words, our bodies are like tents, aren't they? I mean, they wear out, they sag, they bulge at the wrong places. I mean, wrinkle all over, joints get cracky, arteries harden, heart slows down, teeth fall out, eyes get dim, muscles weaken. Sooner or later, these bodies of ours will eventually stop working altogether. At best, what we can only do is slow down the aging process. We cannot delay it forever. Hey, you and I are falling apart even while I'm preaching this sermon, you know. So Paul says, we know that we live in a tent. But he says, we also know that we will one day trade in our tent for a building. This building of God is not the believer's heavenly home, promised in John chapter 14. It is His glorified body. Now think about the difference between a tent and a building. You see, tents are temporary, aren't they? They're flimsy, easily torn, and meant to be replaced. But a building is incredibly strong, built on a foundation and not meant to be moved. Someday we will give up our tent and replace it with a building, the Bible says, made by God Himself. Now let me tell you, that one fact alone tells us something important, I believe, about death. Death is not the end. Death is not reincarnation. Death is not vanishing. Death is not total destruction. Death is a trade-in. One day we will trade in our broken bodies for a new body. An Amish boy and his father, they were visiting a mall for the first time. I mean, they were amazed by almost everything that they saw in this mall. But especially by two shiny silver walls that would move apart and back again, together again. The boy asked his dad, What is this, father? And the father, never having seen an elevator, responded, Son, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. I don't know what it is. Well, the boy and his father were watching, wide-eyed, and about that time an old lady comes in a wheelchair, Rolled up to the moving walls, pressed the button, and the wall opened and uh, the old lady in a wheelchair rolled between them into this small room. 
The walls closed and the boy and his father watched these small circles of lights with numbers uh, above the wall lights up. And uh, they continued to watch the circles light up and then in reverse direction. The walls opened up again and a beautiful 24-year-old woman stepped out. And the father said to his son, Go get your mother. (laughs) Now God is going to act, folks, in the future by trading in our bodies for new models. Not our spouses. Let me tell you, look at what Paul says about the new body. It is, first of all, from God. It is not made with hands. It is eternal. It is heavenly and not earthly. That's what Paul means when he says, we know. There's a lot of things we don't know about the future. But this much is certain. We won't have to live, folks, in tents forever. Someday our tent will be replaced with a building made by God. Now, how do we know that? I'll tell you how we know that. Because we trust the Word of God. No Christian has to consult the fortune teller or Ouija board or deck of cards to find out what the future holds or what lies on the other side of death. God has told us all that we need to know in the pages of His Word. Well, then in verses 2 to 4, I see, secondly, the nature of the resurrection body. Verse 2, For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be clothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now what will be the coming day of the resurrection be like? Well, we can find three answers, I believe, here in these verses. First of all, it's like putting on an overcoat. Now, when Paul says we long to be clothed, he uses a very unusual Greek verb here that means something like to be clothed upon. It's the idea of putting on an overcoat, you see, which is literally a coat put over or upon the body. Paul looks forward to, say, the day when Christ returns and he's thinking to himself, I can't wait for that day to come because I will put on my new resurrection body like I put on an overcoat. Secondly, it is the answer to our groaning. How many times we have groaned because maybe a job that we don't like or unfulfilled dreams in our lives or marriages that break up or children that go astray or friends disappoint us. And how many times we have groaned because our bodies break up or break down. And we groan because we live in a fallen, messed up, broken down, mixed up world. We ourselves are broken down. So what we do is we look for a better day and a better place. And we dream 
of a better world where there is no more cancer, no more hatred or no more crime, no more sadness, no more abuse, tornadoes, night or sickness, and no more death. Then also thirdly, it removes our deepest fears. Now being delivered from trouble takes care of the past and the present. But deliverance from fear takes care of the future. And death is in the future for all of us. There are many fears of death, but I believe one of the worst is dying alone and forgotten. How blessed we can die with our loved ones gathered by our side, I believe. But often this is not possible because death comes unforbidden, you know, to our door. Also, uh, many fear of the unknown of death itself, going from this life to the next. Let me say two things before I go on about that. We don't have to worry about our loved ones who died in Christ. What is the current condition of believers who die before Jesus returns? Well, the clearest thing we can say is that they are, the Bible says, with Christ and with the Lord in heaven. Paul said as much, notice in verse 6, these words, so we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Then he says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We don't have to worry about our loved ones who died in Christ. Why? Because they have passed into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That, I think, now listen carefully, that, I think, is all we can know for certain. But it's enough, folks, let me promise you. That is enough. Paul says clearly that the dead in Christ will rise first when Christ returns in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And that is the moment when those who die in Christ receive, you see, their resurrection body. Between now and then, it is enough, and I believe more than enough, to know that they are with the Lord and will be with Him forever. Then secondly, let me say, when we die, we will die alone. Why? We will not die alone. Let me put it that way. We will not die alone. Because we will be with Jesus Christ forever. And if we should live to see Christ return, we will receive our resurrection body at that very moment. Now, either way, we have a hope that death, let me tell you, cannot shake. This explains why death holds absolutely no fear, no tears for the Christian, the one who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul called his death a departure in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 6. For I am now ready, he says, to be offered. And the time of my departure or release that is from his death is at 
hand. One meaning of this Greek word is to take down one's tent and uh, move on. Uh, it was used figuratively in a sailing way as a, when a vessel pulls up anchor to loose itself and uh, sail on. In the Greek world, this term was used also for freeing someone from chains and for cutting of a piece of goods from a loom. This is what death is described, you see, in the Bible. Here on earth, folks, we are anchored to the hardships, the heartaches of this very life. In death, though, the gangway is raised and the anchor is pulled away and we set sail for the golden shores of heaven. In death, we break camp here on earth to start for uh, heaven. A little boy asked his mother what death was all alike. But what was, it, what was it like? And she said to him, You remember when you fell asleep in the living room? And your father picked you up in his big strong arms and took you to your bedroom? And when you woke up, you found yourself in another room. Death, for the Christian, is just like that. You go to sleep in one room and wake up in another. Now, one question remains. Paul, how can you be so sure about this all? Well, I think verse 5 helps us here. We see the guarantee of the resurrection of the body. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Now we were made for something better than all this, let me tell you. Sometimes we look at the world around us, we wonder, is that all that there is? To which Paul answers a resounding, no, no, no. We were made for something better than the sadness that you and I see, you see, in this world. We will have, the Bible says, a new body. Not the same as before. Not just refurbished or reconstructed. But I believe our identity uh, will not change. We are made for a new life. We're made for a new body. We're made for a new existence, you see, with the Lord. God Himself has made us, now listen careful, God Himself has made us for this very purpose. Our future does not hang on our own desires, that is what we want, but on the eternal purpose of God who called us to be His children. We're saved by an eternal love that will not ever let us go. Paul put it this way, not even death can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, God has guaranteed our future resurrection. Now to me, this is a hopeful thought. For anyone who has buried a loved one who's died in the Lord. 
Now, how do we know that we will see them again? Well, the answer, I believe, is it all depends on where we look. Now, you can go to a cemetery, take a long chair with you, sit there with your tea and your ham sandwich. You can go there and wait as long as you want. You'll see lots of death, I promise you. A lot of dead people will come. Because that's where cemeteries are all, that's what they're all about. Lots of people are buried there, but not many are being raised from the dead. In fact, the last resurrection took place, what, 2,000 years ago. So how do we know there is a coming day of the resurrection? Well, there are two solid answers to that question. First of all, that God raised His own Son from the dead. This is the purpose, objective, ground of our faith in the coming day, you see, of the resurrection. This is our aim. This is our goal. If God would not leave His Son in the grave, He will not abandon those who trusted in His Son. Death cannot win in the end, folks, because our Lord, folks, conquered the grave. Then the second answer is, God gave us the Spirit as a sacred deposit. Paul tells us that in verse 5 here. Some translations uh, say down payment or earnest. When you buy a house... You put down a sum of money called earnest money, don't you? It's a small amount that legally binds you to pay the full amount later on. Now, that's what God has done through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who dwells in us, you see, is God's down payment on our future. God signed on the dotted line and He said, I will raise or raise from the dead all who have trusted in my Son. And when He made the down payment through the gift of the Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us as Christians, it's as good as done. It's going to happen, folks. You can take it to the bank. Now, what should this truth do for us then today? I think, primarily, it changes the way that you and I look at death. So many times we have it all wrong, I believe. We think that we're going from the land of the living to the land of the dying. But that's not true. We're going from the land of the dying, folks, to the land of the living. By the way, What is required for resurrection? You've got to die first, folks. No death, no resurrection. Now, unless the Lord comes very soon, and I think He may, and I hope He does, and the way things are happening, I just believe He might be very soon, that will be probably the way most of us will end our earthly journey through death. Some way, somehow, Someday, we'll die. 
Now, whoever is around at that particular moment is going to take us to the mortuary where the undertaker is, and that undertaker will do what he has to do to prepare us for burial. We'll be dressed up and cleaned up and made to look as natural as uh, can be. But folks, let me tell you something, we'll still be dead. And then uh, they'll take us in the, the funeral service where someone will say some, hopefully, nice words. Nice people will make nice, some nice remarks about us and how they missed us. And they will sing a bit and say some prayers. And then, as I put it this way, the box will close and will be placed in the ground. Now, I don't want to say that to alarm you this morning. I understand. I understand that you and I, we need to live and we need to live a life abundantly as the Lord wants us to. Amen? I mean, we're alive today. Let's give it the best shot we have. I understand that. Don't get me wrong. I also understand that you young people here this morning, you don't think much about death because you've got all the years ahead of you. I understand that. I, when I was your age, never thought, of any, never thought about it. Never thought about it. Now, but the simple truth is this, and this is what I want you to get. We're all going to do, as I call it, box time eventually. All of us. That's the point that I'm trying to convey. The man who wrote this particular passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he returned to the dust of the earth a few years later. Every Christian who has ever lived has died eventually. But thank God it's not the last word. If you have a loved one who died in Christ, maybe you ought to go out to the grave and have a little talk there. Maybe it's your uh, grandmother or father. could be your mother or father. Maybe uh, a child. And just go out there and say this with confidence. Grandpa, Mama, Dad, husband or wife, I really miss you. Boy, do I miss you. And I'm glad you are with the Lord right now. But I want you to know that God is not finished with you yet. He's got some more work to do. And then what you may want to do is take your Bible out, this passage of Scripture that we went through, and read it out loud. Just remind yourself of what Christians really believe. Hudson Taylor, he was a founder of the China Inland Mission. In the closing months of his life, and he, he opened missionary works galore back in the 1800s. In the closing months of his life, he said to a friend, and I quote, I'm so weak, can't read my Bible, can't even pray. I can only lie still in God's arms like a little child and trust. Paul said that he was confident. He said, we have a building 
from God in eternal house in heaven, in verse 1. He said, we know this because God has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. When I traveled a little bit, when I was your pastor, I would make hotel reservations in advance. And when I arrived, I knew I had a room. Why? Because I had a guarantee from the hotel. I had a piece of paper, you see, to prove it. I know I have a room in heaven also, let me tell you. Why? Because Jesus Christ has already paid the way at the cross of Calvary. God has given me the Holy Spirit. I don't understand it. But God has given me the Holy Spirit who lives within me as a deposit, guaranteeing that it is just a foretaste of what is to come. Now, we can't see heaven physically. We've never seen it. We can't prove that it even exists. But we are what? Confident by faith in Jesus Christ that it is so. We are so confident, in fact, that we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Some people are not confident of their salvation. But you can be. Maybe you're here and you're just not confident at all. I mean, let me ask you, if you were to die, and young people, you could be in a car accident, and I don't want to be morbid or anything, but this is realistic. It happens all the time. And if something happened to you, where would you spend eternity? Where would you spend eternity? You can put your faith in Jesus Christ this morning. You can trust Him. Let me close with this story. A story that I read, and I want my family that's here to know this, because this is where we're going to meet when we get to heaven. Derek Johnson, a singer for a Christian singing group, he told uh, this story about his daughter, Debbie. And at that time, she was only uh, four years old, and Debbie got lost in a crowded supermarket. After an anxious search, she was found just an aisle from where her mother was, but she was tremendously petrified. For a long time after that, she was terrified, you see, of crowds. Shortly thereafter, they had a devotional about heaven one night, and she asked, Daddy, will there be a lot of people in heaven? And the father said, well, yes, there will be a lot of people in heaven, so many that we won't be able to count them. The Bible tells us so. And she asked, well, how will I ever find you and Mama when I get to heaven? Well, the father knew that this was a childish question, but he wanted to give her a good answer. And so he said to her, I'll tell you what, honey. When you get to heaven, you just wait for us right inside the gate. And we'll all meet there as a family. She asked, Daddy, is there more than one gate in, uh, in heaven? And he remembered that in Revelation said that 
there are four walls and there are three gates in every wall. And he said, yes, there are twelve. She asked, which gate? And he said, I'll tell you what. When you get to heaven, you ask somebody which way is east. And when you just walk, you just walk and walk until you come to the eastern wall. And then you find the middle gate in the eastern wall. And honey, let's all meet as a family just inside the middle eastern gate. That seemed to satisfy her. And so they kissed, and he kissed her goodnight. And then he said, now remember, we're going to meet just inside. And she interrupted the Middle Eastern Gate. Derek Johnson said that ever since that time, now that her, their daughter, his daughter is old, adult, that he and his daughter had already, uh, had, had hardly ever said goodbye to each other without saying, meet you just inside, and the other saying, the Middle Eastern Gate. After I read that story, I couldn't help but think where I was going to meet my family someday. Let's meet family at the east Middle Gate at the Eastern. Let me ask you this. Are you going to be there? Your family going to be there? I mean, when it all is said and done, the most important thing is, folks, that our whole family comes to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I don't care what our ministry might be, that is the number one ministry to reach our family for Christ. We know by faith that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord forever. What a day that will be. Don't miss it in the world. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. As we go into the invitation, I'm going to ask you to have your heads bowed. And we're going to have you give you an opportunity to come. And if you don't know Christ as your personal Savior, this would be a wonderful time to put your faith and trust in Christ, to make certain of where you're going to spend eternity.